Welcome everyone to episode 165 of the Red Zone Restrictor podcast. I'm your host David Comerford and I'm joined by Liam Toher as we break down Liverpool's 3-0 win over Nottingham Forest. This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to bigheadsmedia.com for more great podcasts. Don't Liverpool have made it back-to-back victories in the Premier League and back-to-back victories at Anfield. That's after a 3-0 success over Nottingham Forest on Sunday. Diego Jota opened the scoring just after the half-hour mark with Darwin Nunez. Actually, only scoring four minutes later. And that was a bit of a sucker punch for the visitors. And Liverpool were basically in control of the contest from that point onwards sealing the victory in the 77th minute through Mohamed Salah. It remains kind of as you were in the table for the second weekend in a row. Um, Liverpool managed to get the victory, but stay in fourth place. That's because Arsenal, Tottenham and Manchester City all won their respective games. But we'll come on later to some of the other results in the Premier League that might benefit Liverpool. But Liam, we'll begin with our three-word match reviews as usual and your assessments of that Liverpool performance, please. Um I think for a trio match of you, I'm going to go for you, Lucho. Um, yes, I mean, as satisfying as the win was, I think ultimately it will be framed within the context of like the much bigger and much more worrying issue of what happened with Luis Diaz's parents in Colombia over the weekend. Um, like, lovely to see the tributes yesterday from Diogo Jota after the first goal and from the crowd that had been chanting his name. Um, so I think he and his family are foremost in everyone's thoughts and obviously we just pray that his brother, both brother and father will return home safely. Um, focusing on the game itself, very satisfying, really comfortable. Like I'm usually the sort of guy of fan who is sitting there at 2-0 fearing the worst, like team like, okay, we need, we need one, we want to kill this off. Now, we ultimately, I think we still did need the third to kill it off just because Forrest were semi-threatening for a little bit before that third goal but I suppose in truth once we got the breakthrough at all especially when we fired it up with you know, as you say with the two it was a quick success, succession for half time like we were very like, really controlled and kept possession really well admittedly like Forrest's joy would probably be one of the and yesterday's basis one of the least taxing opponents we'll come up against all season but at the same time, from from a Liverpool point of view, really nice and controlled, took the chances where we needed to, and saw it out comfortably. About everything you could ask for, really, in a, in, a, in a performance. Yeah, I mean, first things first. Obviously, I completely echo everything you've said on uh, on Luis Diaz. Um, moving on to the the actual game, I think you're right, Forrest. Uh, one of those teams where I think maybe in a, in a stronger Premier League they might struggle a little bit. Um, Came into this off the back of, of three draws, and I don't think they were necessarily draws against particularly strong sides. But you you do imagine that they've got kind of the talent in their squad to get enough points come the end of the season. They're going to be kind of in that bracket of kind of fourteen to seventeen, something like that. Um, I think they're stronger than you know the promoted sides, for example, and maybe Everton will be kind of around them come the end of the season too. But I certainly think you know on that basis coming into this game, it was. Really important for Liverpool to go out there and produce a convincing 90-minute display. I think it's something the lads talked about um, when they were previewing the game after after Toulouse on our last podcast. Because really, I don't think, aside from Aston Villa, there's and, and maybe West Ham, but I'm not sure about that one either. There are too many games where you could say that was a fully convincing 
90-minute performance from Liverpool. And I think we definitely got that yesterday. And I think as much as finding ways to win when you're not at your best is a key marker in a title race, you know, you also need those kind of dominant victories. You can't afford to be, you know, battling it out every single week. Um, and I think yesterday Liverpool just really showed how good they were, um, essentially. And, you know, I've gone with Liverpool 2.1 arrives for my uh, three words because, you know, Klopp's use this very Liverpool 2.0 a lot, but kind of watching how well the attackers connected yesterday, it felt like not only had you built, built this new personnel into the structure, but everything was starting to kind of combine now and starting to flow. Um, I think we saw that in the volume of chances Liverpool created um, that the new team was connecting because, <clears throat> sorry, they amassed an XG of 3.2 against uh, 0.45 for Forest, 73% of the ball, 21 shots against nine, but that doesn't really reflect the quality of opportunities, obviously, because um, Liverpool had eight of those on target and Forest only had one. I mean, in fairness to Forrest, uh, there was an, a moment where Dominguez, I think it was, has sort of an opportunity, and that was a two nil. Doesn't kick, doesn't like get contact on the ball. If that goes in, then it is a little bit more nervy. And I think when it was three nil, Alanga hit the bar. Certainly, someone hit the bar for Forrest, but certainly for the first opportunity, the game was already gone. And I think, generally speaking, it's fair to say Liverpool completely controlled that game, and it was very much a performance befitting a title contender. Um, so if we move on to kind of the individuals now rather than the bigger team picture, I mean, who was the one who stood out to you, Liam, as probably the, the player of the match from the Liverpool standpoint? Um, it actually wasn't any of the three goal scorers. Um, I'm going to go with Dominic Zabozlai. Uh, two assists, ran the midfield, um, up there was probably one of his best performances since he joined the club. And as you know, that that is a pretty high bar considering how he's played already. Um I mean, that, his role, I think, for the second goal, it probably just encapsulates his performance. It was he who, like, when, once he collected the ball, straight away, he knew exactly what he was doing it. Drive down the field. Forrest could lay a glove at him. Uh, lay it off the side. I get it back into tapping into Nunez's goal. Like, that incision, like, when you think back to 12 months ago, and he, even, like, because we played Forrest, I think it was around this time last year, at the city ground, and... Even in a season as poor as that as 22-23, that was up there with one of the worst displays that we put in. Like the contrast between that and yesterday was chalk and cheese. And Zabozai epitomised that. Just the energy he, he brought um, from from the middle of the park. Every time he got the ball, drive forward with it. Um, absolutely love watching him. He was magnificent yesterday for us. And do you know what? You know, you mentioned the contrast to last season. And one thing I forgot to mention um, in, in my kind of first answer about the uh, the performance generally was that obviously the long throws uh, wrought absolute havoc in this game of Liverpool last season. And they gave away fewer this time, but I also think they, they dealt with them a lot better too. And I think Forrest also coming into the game were um, the joint best team in the league for counter-attack and goals. And I looked before and they weren't able to actually complete a a counter-attack with a shot yesterday, which again shows that Liverpool identified and, and nullified that threat quite well. Um, I would also probably have picked out Soboslai uh, as the player of the match. I agree with you. Liam, I think, you know, obviously those assists are, are his first officially for Liverpool, um, the couple that he got. There was one in the game against Bournemouth where he had a shot and Jota scored the rebound. Quite similar actually to Nunez's goal yesterday. Mm-hmm. 
but that only counts for FPL. That doesn't count for um, the official Premier League record book. So he's off the mark in that regard. But yeah, I mean, the thing is, is you know, you mentioned that it was one of his best performances, Liverpool, and and for me, I'm already kind of taking him for granted a little bit. I think mm-hmm. you know, I've just come to expect that this level from him because he has been, you know, really consistent up to this point. I would say. And I should probably stop myself doing that because, you know, it's, you know, obviously great to, especially after last season, to see a midfielder with, with this kind of all-round skill set on the pitch. And, you know, I, I maybe got used to him a little bit too quickly, to be honest, because, um, yeah, it's just kind of, this is the standard that I, I come to expect every single time. So, obviously, sets out on the pitch. And, you know, you, you can mention, obviously, the assists, but even even the numbers beyond that were excellent for him. I mean, four chances created in the game, which is the which is first for Liverpool. Um, 13 ball recoveries, also first. 100 touches, which is third. I mean, there's probably not too many games where Liverpool number eight to getting, uh, getting that many touches of the ball. Three out of four take-ons, the best in the team. Um, eight out of 12 long passes, five progressive carries. I mean, <clears throat> I think... Even rattling through all those numbers there, you kind of see the amount that he brings um, to your team. And I, I just think that, you know, it's sort of unbelievable to have a player who's so many rolled into one. And it feels a little bit in a way like um, he's too, he, he does the job of two players at the same time, um, especially when you see what he kind of brings on and off the ball. But just kind of, I mean, this just occurred to me as I was talking there, Liam. I think over the weekend, obviously, um, Jude Bellingham, El, El Clasico, scores from about 25 yards, absolute wonder goal, and then mm. scores the winner in stoppage time. I mean, he, he's scoring at an, a, an absurd rate for someone who's kind of nominally a midfielder. Do you look at what Bellingham's doing in Spain and feel a sense of regret? Or because Sobosly has you know, played so well so far. Is he kind of just completely an afterthought for you at this point? Um, I wouldn't say Billingham's an afterthought just because Zippy can't get away from how exceptional he's been. But I definitely don't have any regrets over how things ultimately panned out. Because um, like my argument at the time that we were being linked with Bellingham earlier in the year, my argument was that I would 100% love to take him at Liverpool. My worry was that because of how much it would cost, we probably wouldn't have much left over to you know to bring in anybody else, or if they were, they probably would be just a, a squad player. And then if Bellingham were to get injured, and if it were to be like like say what happened to Andy Robertson, if Bellingham were to pick up that kind of injury, we'd be back to square one. Whereas at least the way the things have panned out with the four midfielders that we have brought in, the depth there now is just so much greater. And it's not like a case of quantity over quality. We've got the perfect balance of both. Because not only have we added so much more depth to the midfield, the Zomasai and Grattenburg in particular have been superb. And even McAllister, like yesterday was arguably his best performance for us since he joined in the summer. Um, and it, say, like with how we end up, probably gets overlooked a lot. Like, Rizky isn't going to start a whole lot of games. But as he showed on Thursday night, whenever he does go in, he's not going to let his manager down. So I would absolutely would have loved to see Benning in the outfield. I, I don't think anybody would say otherwise. But 
zero regrets over how, how things how things panned out over the summer. Yeah, I think you're absolutely spot on there. To be fair, I think that collectively Liverpool are, are just stronger, and it's one thing if they'd had the money to to do Bellingham and, and multiple other players, but. I mean, even when you, when you look at what they did spend, which I think was in the region of sort of 135, 140 million, I mean, you basically would have had only enough money left over to, to sign one other player um, once you brought him in. If, if that was indeed the budget, I mean, obviously there was that offer for Caicedo, but um, you can kind of, you can only go off what actually happened, I suppose, in the end. Um, but yeah, like the thing the thing is, is like obviously individually, you know, Sobosly has been, exceptional i think he was player of the month in august he was second to mo salah um in the voting for september and he's probably going to be up there again near the top for october um i think that individually you know i'm still taking jude bellingham every day of the week over dominic sobersly and that's absolutely no knock on on him i think we're watching someone who could go on to become one of the great midfielders of all time certainly I think the best English midfielder of all time. I think you know he can probably surpass Steven Gerrard, Frank Lampard, etc. If he reaches his full potential, um, obviously it's still very early days in that regard. But I think that you can't have too many qualms with the general approach. And as consolations go for missing out, I think someone like Sobosai, who's only you know just turned twenty three as well, and could be so a very long term solution as well in his own regard. I think Liverpool have found the absolute next best thing. And they do deserve credit for that because it was quite late in the day that they ended up kind of pulling the plug on that Bellingham deal. Obviously, they created that problem for themselves, but then they found a decent solution. One of the other players that they signed in midfield was Alexis McAllister, who I thought had a good game yesterday as well. I mean, there's been one or two podcasts where I've been a little bit critical of him. But I thought yesterday was definitely one of his better games. I mean, the best moment was when he won the ball back for the first goal um, with quite a firm challenge on Murillo. Like, that's kind of the bite you want to see from someone who's playing as a holder midfielder. And he obviously is not natural there. Um, and, you know, it was the kind of game where a lot of people would say, you know, start Endo because Endo had played well against Toulouse. And you play in, like you said, at the start, Liam, against one of the weaker teams in the division. And you start to think to yourself, well, if Endo's not going to play here, then when is he going to play? But the problem with that is McAllister, as a holder midfielder, works in the games where Liverpool are completely dominant in possession. I mean, you saw that yesterday. He made 17 progressive passes. So he's someone who can kind of pick his way through the lines, especially against like a low block like we saw from Forrest yesterday. And then you find yourself in a situation where, okay, so if, if McAllister's going to play the games, Liverpool are dominant because that's where... He's kind of a net positive as a six. Then that just leaves the games where Liverpool are against stronger opposition. And you're not going to throw Endo necessarily in against, you know, one of the best teams in the league when he's not, he's only started one Premier League match. So he's got to think, do you know what? Is he just going to be a cup player and a, and a bench player and someone who starts, you know, in the event that McAllister isn't available? Um, and, and to be honest, I know, we're 10 games in, which is obviously isn't an insignificant amount, but it's not, you know, a huge stretch into the season. But I'm already starting to think that about him. But, I mean, that's not necessarily the main point from yesterday. I mean, the main thing is obviously how well McAllister played. He is on the verge of a suspension now, which yeah. could be good news for Endo. He's picked up his fourth yellow card and he has to get to, I believe, the trip to Burnley on Boxing Day now without getting another it if he wants to avoid a suspension. 
But yeah, Liam, what did you make of, of that display from him yesterday alongside Sabasai in midfield? Um, quite, yeah, de- definitely there had been questions over McAllister's six, but I feel like yesterday was he's definitely that more convincing. Like I, I think you summed it quite well there. He, um, so that he sort of reveled in something of a, of a quarterback role in that way. He was able to play through the lines and just keep things tidy at the base midfield. Uh, again, Forrest probably didn't, didn't necessarily make life too difficult for him in that regard, um, but again, did, did what he had to do and did it commendably. Um, and yeah, and I, was, I was going to cite the very moment you picked out, I mean, the way in which he won that ball back for for the first goal. Like That is exactly what you want to see from a player in that position. Um, and like you, you mentioned there with the other cards as well. I mean, that is where someone like Endo, you know, does need to be ready and primed because I suppose just if it's ten games into the season and the Cardinals got four yellow cards, um, we're not even going to mention the running against against Bournemouth and um, how ridiculous that was. And then, like we three matches in November, the law of averages would suggest that he's going to get booked in one of those. We're just hoping it isn't the Brentford game, because if it is to be that day. The match he misses is, of course, Manchester City away. When you absolutely do want your your best eleven available, um, now obviously this is going to happen because Andy Robson is is out injured. But the best eleven that you could, could possibly put on the pitch for that game, you want them. You want them for that. So again, a bit of a disciplinary type up. He's walking, but again, but yesterday was the. It was what we wanted to see from the six, and I think it's a sign that McAllister is growing. It's very definitely growing to the team alongside um, Zabazai and again Gravenbrush, who was probably understated but still fairly solid yesterday and did what he had to do. Yeah, I think, I mean, for Gravenbrush, he was so spectacular against Toulouse on Thursday that it was going to be difficult to follow that up. And I think yesterday was probably the, the quietest game that he's had, but he's not going to, you know set the world every time he sets foot on the pitch. I think the interesting thing now is, like, obviously there's the game at Luton next weekend. Who does Klopp go with for that? Because Gravenberch, I think, generally speaking, has really um, made the most of his chance. But is it going to hurt him that his kind of weakest game in this sort of run has come, like, right before Klopp has the decision to make between him and Jones? I think that's maybe an interesting little subplot from this one. Um, And I think... With McAllister, you you mentioned it there. The thing that I wonder is, in terms of that Man City game, I mean, I remember when we played Aston Villa in 1920, obviously one of the, the great Jürgen Klopp wins. I'm pretty sure that, that Klopp rested Fabinho for that game because we were playing City the following week and Fabinho was at risk of a suspension. And you do wonder if that could be a chance for Endo as well in terms of protecting him for a really important match because um, that might be a game that, that suits him too, uh, playing against kind of a really sort of physical side like that and uh, one thing I would say with McAllister is, you know, I think generally speaking, did have an improved game yesterday. He did only complete 67 out of 83 passes, which I think has been a trend in, in some games in terms of ball retention, so I think that needs a little bit of work, but I think on the whole sort of a, a decent 7-8 out of 10 showing from him yesterday. Um, the one other player that I'd pick out, Liam, um, in terms of the individuals, is Virgil van Dijk. 
And I've got some stats here from uh, that Sam Maguire posted on Twitter. You know, 101 out of 107 passes, 12 out of 15 long balls, eight ball recoveries, seven out of eight aerial duels won. And, you know, I mentioned the stats earlier um, in terms of Liverpool's domination. And, and those aren't the games that always lend themselves to, to talking about defenders. But I do think that it's worth mentioning just how kind of dominant and assured and, you know, almost graceful Van Dijk was uh, in that performance yesterday. 100%. As you say, a game like this, you probably look and say, oh, well, Forrest didn't really test uh, the defence door. They had a bit of an easy run of it. You could say that, but I mean, they did, we mentioned a couple of chances they got, um, like that group got into the box for a few minutes and couldn't get in the end of Elanga hitting the post it on. So they had their moments. But the reason they only had moments was because the Liverpool defence, led by Virgil van Dijk, didn't give them a sniff all afternoon. Like we saw last week with him, how he nullified two potentially big physical threats in Calvert-Lewin and then Beto against Everton. And likewise yesterday, like Forrest in attack, had had very little. And part of that was, was probably out to them, but part of it was also down to Van Dijk and Kanata, who again I thought was, was excellent yesterday and improved on the Everton game for sure. And, that the two of them just did not give Forrest a sniff and did exactly what they had to and more. And we are starting to see, like, Van Dijk, he's not, I wouldn't put him at the level of, like, 2018 to 2020 just yet, where he is now. But it's the closest he's been to that since the ACL injury three years ago. Is what is what I'd say about Virgil. With every game, he's growing more and more. He's reveling in in the captaincy. I think David. Um, you know, you see the classic examples, classic cases of a player who leads by example. The stats are shown. Like you, you can see the eye test even tells you like how, like, like how improved he has been at the back from the last 12, 18 months or so. Um, and and as you rightly say, yeah, yes, yesterday he. Had, Probably was amongst our probably amongst our best three or four players on, on the pitch, even accounting for the three lads who scored at the other end. Yeah, obviously it's not just about what he does um, off the ball in terms of winning those duels. You know, you look at it, he's completing over hundred passes, loads of long passes as well. And when you're up against a low block in this day and age, you need your centre backs to be playmakers in a certain way as well. And Liverpool have got a kind of a a good uh, set of options in that regard, definitely. Um, I want to move on now to the sort of broader picture of the weekend. Just before I do that, um, Liam, was there anybody else who, who you thought deserved a, a little honourable mention at the end there in terms of the individual displays? Um, I suppose I'll probably give a little one to, to Kanash there. I thought he was, you know, he was very assured. Um, and I also want to praise Simicast because obviously, look, there's a lot of quite of, um Questions about him now. Like, is he capable of just stepping up long term to fill the void left by Andy Robinson's injury? Um, I thought he was very tidy yesterday. Again, you could make the argument that you know, it wasn't his biggest test, um, and that Joe Dykes Man City will, will, will absolutely ask a lot more out of him. But I have to say, like yesterday, did not like really didn't do anything wrong. Um, Give us that little bit of energy down the left. They really had to defensively. So, yeah, I think I'm going to throw him in there as well. Yeah, um, I, I thought 
you know, both of those two players were decent. I think, obviously, like you mentioned at the start, we haven't really touched on any of the goal scorers. Um, but Mo Salah, in addition to getting his goal after a, um, a quite funny piece of play from Matt Zayana, mm-hmm. to be honest, um, you know, obviously he continues his incredible consistency. But also he got, you know, a couple of um, pre-assists in this game as well, um, which I think is kind of an underrated asset that he has in terms of he did it quite a lot last season and Klopp mentioned that he's capable of playing the pass before the assist um, quite frequently and he did that yesterday. Obviously, Nunez, again, continuing his really strong start in terms of the numbers, which is um, definitely something to be celebrated. And yeah, Diogo Jota scoring at what was an absolutely vintage Jota goal. And then I would argue pretty much struggling for the rest of the game, but it didn't really matter um, in the end. Um, so Liam, if we look at some of the results from the weekend, obviously, like I mentioned, you know, Arsenal, won convincingly uh, Tottenham got another victory they passed the the Crystal Palace away test and then obviously Man City won quite emphatically in the Manchester derby but some of the other results I mean Newcastle drew Chelsea lost Man United lost and Brighton drew as well and as a result of that I mean if you look at the gap between Liverpool and some of those teams in the table all teams that with the exception of of Chelsea they were kind of fighting last season I mean they're six points ahead of Newcastle Eight points ahead of Man United, six points ahead of Brighton, and a whole eleven points ahead of Chelsea. Do we look at those games and sort of be thankful that we have a buffer over many of those potential top four rivals? You know, with the exception of Aston Villa, who are only one point back. Or do you think our mentality now should be forget about those teams? Let's look solely upwards at the trio that I mentioned before. Yeah, I think. I mean, at the start of the season. I had a stone for fifth. Um, but I would say that was on the caveat that I expected an awful lot more out of Chelsea Man United than what I've seen so far. Um, and that I thought we would finish ahead of... I thought Tottenham wouldn't even be in the equation. Um, but they've so far, they've definitely proved me wrong in that regard. Um, from what I've seen of 10... I think 10 matches, as you've pointed out, is probably enough of a barometer now to make a fair make a reasonably good judgment over how the season as a whole will pan out. If we're looking at it now we like I would be happy if Liverpool are when it gets to April that we're in the in the picture for the title frame. I don't expect us to win it because ultimately I think Manchester City and possibly Arsenal are still stronger than us. But from what I've seen so far, I think Liverpool are capable of job being in the in the discussion. Um, yes, they have been. The, we still have a city to, to play twice. We still have Arsenal to play twice. Um, you know, obviously we have Tottenham come downfield, and we all wonder what happened a few weeks ago. Um, so plenty of huge tests still to come. But um, but just from what I've seen of us so far. Like I suppose I'll probably miss, miss my expectations slightly from let's just get into a Champions League position to let's try and be at least in the in the picture when it gets to April and you know, we're still talking about us having a fighting chance of of coming out on top. Um, if you offered, I, having said that, if you offered me like third place and a nice little gap back to the teams and maybe fifth, sixth, um. I would be. I probably would take that deal right now, and, and so being some bit close to to, to the summit. 
Yeah, I think I'd probably I probably wouldn't take that deal. Um, just on the basis that you know I still don't expect Liverpool to win the league, and I do think that the the absolute priorities for this season remains just you know getting back into that Champions League. But I think they've shown that whilst they're not the favourites, they can compete. I mean, you know, like you mentioned, ten games, decent sample size now, and we'll we'll reassess again when we get to the next international break. But I think if, you know, speaking of like deals that you might have been offered, if someone said to you um, at the start of the season at Liverpool, you'll get 23 points from your first 10 games. I think every single Liverpool fan has taken that, to be honest, especially considering the fixture list hasn't been easy at all. And still one point behind Man City, one point behind us. Obviously Tottenham a little bit further ahead, but um, I don't know if this is famous last words, but I do not I do expect them to, to fall away eventually. Um I know they've got a lot of, you know, everything's going well for them at the moment and uh, they've got the advantage of, of no Europe and things like that. But I don't, you know, I'd be absolutely stunned if Tottenham proved to be a long-term title contender um, this season. So we'll see if those words come back to bite me or not. But yeah, I think we'll pretty much leave it there uh, for this week's podcast. Thanks very much, everyone, for listening. If you have enjoyed, please do give us a five-star review. Follow the podcast and also press the notification button so you get a little message every time we post a new episode. Liverpool's next game takes them to Bournemouth in the Carabao Cup, so that will be the focus of our next episode, so make sure you join us for that, and we will see you then.